Most journeys use transportation and itineraries to help you explore the world outside. But there's another kind of journey that's even more rewarding. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah suggests taking an inward journey, a journey focused on drawing you closer to God and further from life's distractions. With a special message for the new year, here's David to introduce The Inward Journey. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. This is one of the five days between Christmas and New Year's where we have the opportunity to talk to you uh, through this radio broadcast called Turning Point. Have you ever discovered that uh, most of the influence that is difficult for you to deal with in your spiritual walk comes from outside? Most of the encouraging influence comes from the inside. So I wonder why it is we worry so much about the outside influences and spend so little time cultivating the inside influences, the inward journey, our walk with the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the inculcation of the Word of God into our lives. We're going to talk about this today and tomorrow, I promise you. It will make you think about some things that you might not think about where you're not listening to these two programs as we get ready for 2022. Looking forward is what we're doing, but before we get too far in front of ourselves, let me remind you, you still have time to get the devotional for 2022 that we make available during the month of December each year. That devotional this year is called Every Day with Jesus, 365 Devotionals. 390 pages. It's all uh, in a beautiful soft leather uh, cover. The leather's hand-stitched. It's blue and tan with silver embossed letters, uh, gilded edges. There's a beautiful bookmark to help you stay uh, where you're supposed to be as you move through the year. And I like to tell people this is a perennial uh, devotional because what I mean by that, it doesn't have the year date in it. It has the day and the month but it doesn't have the year date. So you can use it every year. And when you're done with it, if you want to, you can give it to someone you love, or you can go back through it again yourself or put it on the shelf and wait for another year. It is a real treasure. It is truly a gift in December that keeps on giving through the whole year. And you can have your copy by simply making a very special year-end gift to Turning Point. We need your help, and I I want to encourage you to do your best to reflect uh, the blessing of the Word of God in your life during this past year through this ministry. And when you give, ask for your copy of the devotional. This leather devotional will be a blessing to you every day in the year to come, and we thank you. Well, let's get started with today's discussion on the Inward Journey. In late May of 2010, When the tropical storm Agatha had finally finished its course, a 330-foot deep sinkhole opened up in downtown Guatemala City. Now, like all sinkholes, this one caused the ground to collapse. And in this case, it sucked the land into the hole, including electricity poles, a three-story factory building, and one security guard all sucked into this sinkhole. Now, in case you're not up on what a sinkhole is, let me tell you, a sinkhole is created when the ground underneath the surface is rich in easily dissolved rock type, and if enough water seeps into that area, these formations collapse and they create a large crater known as a sinkhole. 
Land that looks stable and strong on the surface suddenly collapses, often producing havoc for anyone who lives near the sinkhole. Now, that's the metaphor. Unfortunately, our interior lives can sometimes resemble the danger zone of a sinkhole. When we're too busy to spend time with God or when we refuse to deal with past hurts or habitual sin or secret addictions or character flaws, we set ourselves up for a collapse. The surface of our life may look stable and secure, but underneath the exterior, we're actually sitting on a fragile base, and the storms of life, or even just the normal process of living, can suddenly expose our hidden vulnerabilities, and it causes something that kind of looks like a spiritual sinkhole. I want to ask you to think about a journey that is not quantified by charts or graphs. I want you to anticipate a year that is not validated by how many or how much. I want to ask you to think with me for these moments about a journey inward. When I speak of an inward journey, maybe I can give you an illustration of that from a rather strange passage, but a passage that really illustrates the truth. Romans 2, 28 and 29, Paul's writing to the Romans using some Jewish discussion, but he says this, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. The Apostle Paul was reminding his readers that outwardness is not authentic unless it is the reflection of the inwardness of one's life. It's not the flesh, but the heart. It's not the letter, it's the spirit. And the inner life describes the heart behind the habits. It describes the belief behind the behavior. It describes the desire behind the duty. And lest you think this is a negative thing we're going to discuss, let me remind you that we should be greatly encouraged that God does not want us to live as hypocrites. No, God wants us to live transformed all the way down to who we are. He wants us to live from the inside out. He doesn't want us to go around posturing all the time, trying to cover up what we really know is true. Now, nobody does that perfectly, not in this world, because we're all flawed and we're all sinners. We still have the old nature. But as we think about the beginning of this new year and the opportunities it presents, I want to talk with you about the distractions and the disciplines of an inward life. And I want you to listen with all your heart. There's something in here for all of us. I know there was a bunch of stuff in here for me. Maybe there'll be something that will help you as you get your feet on the ground. Merriam-Webster says, a distraction is something that draws or directs your attention to a different object or in a different direction at the same time you're supposed to be concentrating on something else. And we've seen the consequences of distractions in unengaged relationships, 
sometimes children with short attention spans, and perhaps most tragically, the deaths that are caused by distractions. The number of people who have died on the highway this past year because of distractions is incredible. I have a pastor friend whose son, 20-some years old, an incredible young man, was texting on his phone and for just a minute apparently took his eyes off the road, ran his car into the back of a truck, and was killed. Distractions are deadly, not just on the highway, but in life as well. So there are two distractions I want to talk to you about that can get in our way of growing in Christ. The first one is the distraction, I'm going to call it frenzy. (laughs) The distraction of frenzy, a busyness. Did you know that busyness can be an addictive drug? You say, what do you mean? That's why they call them workaholics. (laughs) They're not alcoholics, they're workaholics. (laughs) According to James Houston, busyness for many people, acts to repress our inner fears and personal anxieties. We get busy because we can't deal with what's really true in our own life. So we cover it all up by just getting so busy, we just go from one thing to the next, and we don't have to think about what's really important. In a New York Times article called The Busy Trap, Tim Kreider describes the frenzy of many Americans. This may sound like somebody you know, and it may remind you of yourself. He said, if you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It becomes the default response when you say to somebody, how are you doing? And they'll respond, busy, so busy, crazy busy. It is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint. And the stock response when people say that to us is a kind of congratulations. We say, well, that's a good problem to have, or better than the opposite. Notice, it usually isn't people pulling back-to-back shifts in the ICU or commuting by bus to three minimum wage jobs who tell you how busy they are. No, what those people are is not busy, but tired, exhausted, dead tired, dead on their feet. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily. Classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. They're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face if they weren't so busy. And so life that is frenzied doesn't leave any room for inwardness. When we will not provide a place for the direction of the indwelling Christ, all that is left is the frenzied agenda of a hassled discipleship. That's the first distraction. We're going to talk about what to do with these distractions in a moment. The second distraction is really... It caught me off guard. Maybe the same will be true with you because you know I grew up in the church. My daddy was a pastor. I've been going to church ever since I can remember. I don't remember any time when we didn't go to church. I've been a Christian since I was about 13, grown up in the Christian faith. And distraction number two is what I'm going to call familiarity. We become like the people that Paul wrote to Timothy about. You know what he said about these people? He said, they have a form of godliness, but they don't have any power. 
On one occasion in the book of Revelation, actually on two occasions, John wrote to some churches. Listen to how he described these churches. This is the church of Sardis. He said, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. (laughs) And to the church of Laodicea, he said this. You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We can become so familiar with the outward tokens of our faith that they no longer draw us inward toward God. Many of us are like Samson, who did not know that his strength was gone until he needed it, and then it wasn't there. You remember his story? He had his hair cut off by Delilah, and that was the source of his strength, and he didn't know it when he woke up, and they came to get him. The Bible says he got up as he had done before, and he was weak. There was no strength. In the 19th century, there was a philosopher that I had to read when I was in seminary. Uh, His name was Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher. And all the way back then, he was very disturbed by the church situation of his time. He was a pastor in the city of Copenhagen, and everywhere he saw Christians, but he said they were Christians, quote, in quotation. He saw professed Christians who were completely secure and self-satisfied, for they had the Bible. Many of them carried the Bible in their pockets, and they had the Word of God. It was theirs, and life went on peaceably and happily in a well-adjusted fashion. But Kierkegaard asked himself, is this really the religion set forth in the Bible? And his answer was that such a religion was an impudent indecency. (laughs) Now, he was a very plain-spoken philosopher. And what I'm about to read you, I don't think I would ever have the courage to say. He said it. Just remember, this is Kierkegaard, not Jeremiah. (laughs) He said, a young girl of 16 summers, it's her confirmation day. Among the many tasteful and beautiful gifts, she also receives the New Testament in a very pretty binding. Now that is what one may call real Christianity. To tell the truth, no one expects, and probably rightly so, that she, any more than anyone else, will read that New Testament, or at any rate, not as originally intended. The book given her as a potential consolation in life. Here, Should you need it, you will find consolation. Of course, it is assumed that she will never read it any more than any other young girls, but if she does, it will not be read as originally intended. Yet, said Kierkegaard, that is supposed to be Christianity. You have a Bible, you go to church, you do the Christian things. I would be tempted to make Christianity another proposition, said Kierkegaard. Let us gather together every single copy of the New Testament. Let us cart the whole collection out to an open place or up to a mountaintop. And then, while all of us kneel down, let someone speak to God and say, Take back this book. We humans don't know what to do with it. And I swallowed hard when I read that. Who would ever think of something like that? But what he was saying was, it's possible to get so familiar with the Christian stuff You know, there's even a language, did you know it, 
called Christianese. When you first become a Christian, you talk like a normal person. Then after you're a Christian for a while, you get a whole new vocabulary, and you walk around, everybody's so impressed with your these and thous and all that stuff. But if we're not careful, we become familiar with it, and it doesn't really make any difference in our life. And we just go about the business, and church becomes a part of our culture, and being a Christian is what we write down on the questionnaire, and that's what it is. But Kierkegaard is right about one thing. That is not the religion of the Bible. So these distractions that we deal with, how do we deal with them? In this section of my message, I want to talk about the disciplines that will defeat the distractions. And I want to tell you something. There's no rocket science here. And this is not something you probably haven't heard before, but at the beginning of this new year, this is what I believe God wants to lay on our hearts. So before I go there, I want to remind you of the importance of discipline in the Christian life. I know that's not a favorite word of many, and particularly now, since some of you have already broken the resolutions you made. I struggle with discipline myself. All of us do. If we don't, we're not being honest. But no one really succeeds without discipline. We need it. We need to develop it. We need God to help us become more disciplined about the things that really matter. Harry S. Truman, one of my favorite presidents, a quaint guy, said, in reading the lives of great men, I found that the first victory they all won was the victory over themselves. (laughs) Self-discipline with all of them came first. And I love what Jackson Brown wrote. He said, talent without discipline is like an octopus on roller skates. (laughs) There's plenty of movement, but you never know if it's going to be forward, backwards, or sideways. (laughs) The Word of God tells us that discipline is a part of our life. Paul wrote to young Timothy, and he said, Timothy, bodily exercise profits a little, But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that is to come. And at the beginning, he says, exercise yourself toward godliness. What does that mean? I've always loved that verse. It comes from a Greek word, and here's the Greek word. I'm going to pronounce it. Gymnazio. It's the word from which we get the word gymnasium, almost exactly right out of the Greek language. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is just like you need to go to the gym and stay in shape physically, you need to go to the spiritual gym and stay in shape spiritually. Just like there are exercises that help you to become stronger physically, there are exercises that cause you to become stronger spiritually. And he says this, bodily exercise profits little. I know some people that have taken that little phrase as their life verse. Bodily exercise profits little. When they're tempted to get up in the morning and take a walk, their life first comes into play. Bodily exercise profits little. But Paul only uses that as an illustration. He says, bodily exercise profits little, but spiritual exercise is profitable in all things. And then he goes on to say that bodily exercise is temporal. Our bodies wear out. Can I get a witness? 
But the Bible says, while bodily exercise is temporal, spiritual exercise profits us now and throughout eternity. So he's making the case that while you make a priority of physical exercise, don't forget spiritual exercise. And in reality, if you look at it biblically, spiritual exercise is way more important because it has a longer shelf life, right? So how do we get through the discipline of frenzy? What discipline do we begin with if we're living lives out of control frenzy? Where do we go? Well, the discipline of solitude is one that we might suggest. And I want to give you a verse that's so important, I'm going to read it to you in four different translations or paraphrases. Here is the verse, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know that it's hard to really know God in traffic? You need God in traffic, but you may not know God in traffic. The way you know God is you have to carve out some space in your frenzy where it's just you and God. Listen to the other translations of this verse. I love this. Psalm 46.10 in the Living Bible. Cease striving and know that I am God. Stand silent. Know I am God. Here is the Amplified Bible. Let be and be still and know, recognize, and understand that I am God. And my favorite is the message. Step out of the traffic, take a long loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Be still and know that I am God. Now what's the problem with those verses for all of us? We're never still. We get up in the morning and it's a rat race all the way through the whole day. We put our tired heads on the pillow at night only to get up the next day and start over. We don't have any solitude in our lives. And it's not just about being quiet, although people who aren't even Christians have discovered the power of that, and we'll see that in a moment. Solitude in itself is not what will help you out of your frenzy. But what happens when you are still before God, you listen for his inner voice in your heart. The next thing you know, you're talking to God and you're praying. Because when you're still before God, the discipline of solitude joins hands with the discipline of prayer. And Isaiah says that when we pray, God will keep us in perfect peace because our mind is stayed on him. When you get into fellowship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, Something happens in your heart. If you rush into every day without any time whatsoever for God, God won't abandon you, but you will not be aware of his presence. And that's the problem. So many of us have had the experience of uh, thinking we don't have time, but taking time anyway, only to discover that as you go through the day, things you were concerned about, things you thought weren't going to work out, Somehow, when God goes before you, those things get smoothed out a little bit. and You don't have all of the anxiety that you might normally have. You know you're in God's hands. And I, I recommend that very seriously. We'll have some more about this tomorrow on uh, the Wednesday edition of Turning Point. This is the Inward Journey. 
Also remember now, we're closing in on the final days of registration for the Holy Land Tour, which will take place March 22nd through the 1st of April. We'd like to invite you to consider going with us, seeing this this incredible place called Israel. We'll spend some time in northern Israel in uh, Galilee. Then we'll move down to southern Israel in Jerusalem and all the things that surround Jerusalem. We'll spend some time in the desert, Masada, the Dead Sea. We'll baptize people in the Jordan River. Uh, We're going to have a great time, and we'd love for you to come. It's safe to go to Israel. If it's not, we'll surely tell you. But um, we're grateful for the opportunity to visit this sacred place. I hope you'll come with us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series of special messages for the new year, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine turning points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2022, Every Day with Jesus. It's filled with daily encouragement for 2022, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with helpful notes and articles from decades of study by Dr. Jeremiah. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our special messages for the new year on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Malcolm Forbes, former publisher of Forbes Business Magazine, made an observation about criticism. He said, if you have no critics, you likely have no successes. I think what he meant was that if you do anything in life that is worthwhile and meaningful, you'll probably encounter people who will find fault with what you've done. Jesus said something similar to his followers. If they persecuted me, he said, they will also persecute you. 
And I think that works both ways. If we're, quote, successful as a Christian, the result will be criticism. And if we never experience any spiritual opposition, well, that means something else. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's commendation for following Christ on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.